Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning into these uh, Echo audio files that I'm putting out there. Uh, and uh, it's kind of interesting putting out some content for the Echo devices. I really appreciate it. I like uh, audio editing and rendering stuff. And um, I've been doing a lot of that. I'm, I'm trying to do more of it on a Mac Pro. And uh, the Mac Pro right now is is one of the, the Macintosh computers that's come out years ago really it's still quite expensive and and it's really servicing what i need out of it quite well and i'm happy about that because the price has gone down a bit but if you buy it straight from apple it's still really quite expensive the computer the mac pro i think came out in 2013 and computer years 2013 to 2018 is really nearly ancient but Counting my lucky stars, I just got a Mac Pro. I think it's still priced around $2,000 to purchase even a used one, which originally, I guess, spec'd out as it was, would have been around $4,000 or $5,000. So you're still getting $2,000 worth of computing out of it, I suppose, I hope. I think maybe in some cases the iMac, when it's more fully spec'd out, um, the more modern, like 2017 iMac, I think was outspecking some of the things that the uh, the Mac Pro was doing. But really, with the uh, the I think the Xeon processor and the graphics cards that you're working with, at least on the Macintosh side, that's really one of your only options to work with higher level graphics cards and uh, and higher level. Uh, well, I think your only option to work with the Xeon processor. But it's been really interesting trying to do some uh, some professional rendering and editing. What I'm trying to go through right now and do is is uh, I have a ton of .mov files, ton of .mkv, m4v, mks files. I don't know. Also AVI files. All these different file formats. These MPEG containers that I don't really understand that came with uh, with some other version or you know some some raw file from a camera something like that. But that's all to say that these are pretty big video files that are maybe sometimes uncompressed or compressed poorly or maybe not compressed to a version of something that that is useful for me to use and definitely not ten years twenty years down the line. So what I'm gonna get to try and do is work with uh, some program, maybe Handbrake, maybe Final Cut, maybe I'll go crazy and use a terminal program called FFmpeg. Ugh. We'll, we'll talk more about that later. But uh, I want to try and go through and take all of these video files and convert them over to an MP4, like some more standard high-def MP4 that's like correct for that, that type of video that it is. And I want to try and get rid of all these 3GP video files from a cell phone. I want to convert all that video out, video out to some more native MPEG format. And so I'm going to try and use one of these programs to do it. But to do that on my, my laptop, even a pretty modern laptop, it's quite a bit of rendering to get all those frames out in HD. And so what I'm going to try and do is crunch all of that stuff out by using this Mac Pro. And I hope that I can save a lot of time by trying to render it all out through there. I saved a ton of time rendering out video um, while I was trying to stitch together my 360 video. Oh, my gosh. It was enormously slow on my, on my Mac laptop. And really, it blew through it with consuming quite a bit of time. It still took me a week to render out all the video, but I was able to do it on this workhorse Mac Pro. So it was kind of cool. It was interesting. Uh, definitely not breaking any ground with uh, thinking about Mac Pros, but I'm thinking about the Pro line of computers. Like they have the, the iMac Pro, which is the, you know, the fastest, best uh, system for, for Mac processing in, in a Pro environment right now. And uh, I kind of think about that, but I also think about where are they going with like the desktop interface for the, the professional iMac? You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. 
You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. Thinking about a couple of the photo things that I've been trying to put up. I just posted one earlier. It was a backpacking photo that I'd taken uh, when we were out in the Wallawa Mountains up in the Eagle Cap Wilderness. And that's a really cool spot. I've talked about it a ton of times before. But uh, but it really is a, a special location as it goes, even for Oregon, which is really blessed with a lot of very nice, very approachable, photographable locations. But the Wallawa Mountains have always been uh, something that stood out to me as one of my favorites. And I've heard that that region has a lot of stuff like that. Like as you move further over into Idaho, into the Sawtooth Mountains, into Hell's Canyon, there's a lot of a really peculiar uh, spectacles to go see in that area. And it's really interesting how it's laid out. I, I appreciate it. And I loved kind of getting to go through the whole area. But the Wallowa Mountains specifically have something kind of special to them, especially when you get up into the Alpine area and you get away from people. Even as it goes, when you get to to Joseph, you're significantly away from people. But as you leave and kind of push in further into the Eagle Cap wilderness, uh, the number of people just drops down to less than a dozen by far. And uh, and even less than that, you know, as you move into the more remote areas. It's sort of interesting how there's a threshold of where people are. Like if it's under so many miles of a hike, there's going to be a lot more people there. It's just sort of uh, evolution, maybe. It's uh, or, you know, it's it's just a. Uh, natural selection right it's uh it's where people would naturally select their interests to be closer to the main road than uh than further and more competitive at a farther distance and so uh it's interesting like if you go to a lake that's six miles in uh there's going to be more people there than if you went to the lake that was nine miles in it's just people kind of pull out first or they pull out to the to the route or the trail it's going to not be as much it seems like um but also on top of that really and I blame myself for this specifically, uh, it's way busier now. This decade, just generally, it seems like the REI or the the whole outdoor industry, this whole outdoor media industry, outdoor adventure industry, it just seems like it's double what it or it's 20% up from what it was a decade ago, if that might make sense. And the reason that I would say that is it just seems like there were so many more people filling the parking lot of the area than there were in the years past. And, you know, the reason that I say that and the reason why that's, that's qualified information maybe is uh, it's after Labor Day now. What the trick used to be when I was doing a lot of the, the, the photo trips that I do uh, as I kind of travel east from here and kind of do a big loop in the fall to take photos is uh, after Labor Day. What you really notice is that a lot of these state parks, a lot of the managed locations where there's a park host or something like that, those all get shut down for the winter. It's closed off, unless it's like a bigger, higher volume national park kind of area. But all of these remote locations like the Wallawa Wilderness or the Alvor Desert that we went to, these were places where there would likely be no people, especially no people if it were off hours, off season sort of stuff, sort of visitation. Uh, but what we noticed when we were there is that the parking lot was filled up. Like, you know, it was 50, 60, 70, 80 cars deep. They all just kind of park in a line up above the trailhead. And that's, you know, you kind of visually just are impacted by, wow, there must be this many people from all of these cars up in the mountains right now. And in the past, like when I was there in 2011 and then again in 2012 and in 13, there would be no car. Like there was five cars in the parking lot. 
it was me. I pulled up right to the very front. And uh, I mean, and even when we went this last time, it was a midweek trip. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And even still with that midweek trip, there, there was more traffic up there. So we went to Arnoid Lake, I believe. And uh, that was an area that was, I think, like six miles in. So a little bit of what I was talking about before, about natural selection of the hike you're going to go on that day. Uh, six miles was, is less of a hike. I think the other one, Ice Lake, is nine miles. Maybe the other one is 10, 12, 13 miles, so, you know, somewhere in there. But it just kind of progressively goes on from about six. There's about one every two miles or so. If You know, if you kind of push, you, know, you got so many more miles after that. There's this next one. So on and so forth, as you can imagine. But a lot of people go up to this lake for like a lunch day hike, which sounds like a blast. Not having to actually carry all the heavy stuff with you or, you know, all the equipment, all the overnight stuff that you'd have to deal with. Um, but it was fine. It was uh, it was cool. We went up to Arnoid Lake. We camped up there for a night and we did a lot of photo stuff. But it was kind of tough because I think I mentioned on that last podcast where uh, the we were prepared, but the weather would kind of get twisted on us more often than really what I wanted it to. Uh, but the weather would kind of spin out on us a little bit. So the first night we were there, it was nice and decent in temperature and weather as we were hiking up to the location where we were going to camp. There's only one other couple camping up there. I think it was like a mom and a daughter team that were uh, they were camped out at a site. And then so we pulled away from them on the lake. And, you know, it's just the whole lake to us, which is really cool. It was fun. Uh, so we shot around there for a while, but there's rain that picked up. It was probably one of the first rains of the season. It, well, at least for me or for us or, or for that area. But uh, it seemed like it kind of built up over the mountains. You know, like how you see storm systems kind of build up over the mountaintops sometimes. It seems sort of like it was that. Like it was some kind of weather pattern that was about the Wallows. It seemed like it was nice everywhere else, but it just seemed like it wasn't very nice there. So uh, we camped there for the night. We got through some rain. It was nice the next morning. We took a lot of photos that morning, a lot of photos through the day. We kind of walked around the lake. You know, it was interesting. I guess way back before it was, uh, before it was a wilderness area, uh, before whatever kind of legislation went into effect in the '60s. I think was it the Nixon era? You know, when Nixon had just gotten in, and what was it, like '68, and they they pushed for the Wilderness Act or the Wild and Scenic Act, or probably there's a bunch of stuff before that. But from way back, like a hundred years ago, like before these regulations existed on what could and couldn't happen in wilderness areas. Um, I guess it was a bot area next to that lake and they had built uh, like six or seven cabins up there. Like they just cut down wood and built these cabins. So you go up there and I think they're still owned as private property. It was sort of grandfathered in once uh, the the whole wilderness thing was established. There's a lot of those uh, private land facilities that were grandfathered into that system because they had already existed there. So these are all like undeveloped, unmaintained things that I guess you could you could pay someone to to hike up all the way there and then camp there if you'd want to. It seemed a little dilapidated to me, though. I don't know if I'd want to put out some cash for that after, especially after hiking all day. I might as well just take my tent or hammock or sleeping pad or something, you know, if I'm doing that. But it was cool to go check out, and it was uh, it was kind of cool to, to spot something a little different up there. But it was really fun. You know, honestly, I don't like the cabins because really what I want to go to the Wallawas for is the wilderness experience, is the getting away from the cabins, the private property, the signs that say you can't go here, someone else owns this sort of thing. I'm trying to get away from that and go to public land or go to places where I have access, where I get to do things. And so if it's in civilization, like downtown and I see private property or whatever it might be, uh, or, you know, this is ours, it's not yours. I say, all right, fine, that's okay. 
because that's the that's the negotiation we've made here in civilization. But when we go way out, when we've hiked in miles and miles under our own discipline and accord to get somewhere to spend time there, and then there's some sign, some indication that we're not supposed to be there or we're not supposed to be a part of it or we're not supposed to whatever. We're supposed to respect their private property. And it's a big open field that is a place that everyone gets to hike to. That's just a big lake that's a tourist destination. No, I'm not respecting that rule. I'm going wherever. I'm going to do whatever. That's your business to get a camp host to discipline, not mine. Um, So that might be a lake that I don't go to anymore or that we won't really hike out to again. I think mostly, you know, photos were fun. It was fine other than like uh, not really getting the the light and the opportunity, you know, running into a storm, all the rest of it. Um, that kind of took away a little bit, but really there's, there's just not as many, uh, how do you say, like priority landscape features at that, at that location. There's a pretty lake. It's very nice. It's very alpine looking in, uh, you know, in its presentation, but it just didn't really have one of those, those triple A titles to photograph when you get there. There's not like a lake and then this really cool perspective of a mountain. It's just sort of a big ridge that runs along uh, this this glacial lake. Cool, really pretty, beautiful. Shouldn't take away from it. But, uh, but when your goal is just kind of to get to a specific kind of thing and then get a photo in the can, as they'd say in the biz, or, you know, when you, you get to finish it, it's done. It's already locked off and it's, it's already captured. You got what you want. Then you can move on. Uh, it just didn't really feel like we got there at our location in the Wallowa Mountains. But it was super fun being there. It was cold at night, though. Man, made mornings bad. That's the thing that sucks about morning photos. At night, you get the sun to heat up the, the earth all day, and then you get to go out and take photos of it. In the morning, though, it's just been cold the whole time, especially as we move into fall, as we move into winter. Like, that cold just really starts to peak, it seems like. Um, or, you know, we're getting really close to the freeze, I'm sure it was already freezing up there above the alpine level. Like, I mean, we were 7,500 feet, something like that. So that's a lot, or, you know, from coming down here. Oh, man, and the altitude, not altitude sickness, but altitude fatigue. It just drew on me. Marina, too, she really noticed it. But, you know, as you go around, it's like 1 o'clock that next afternoon. You're just trying to... You're just trying to have energy to sit and eat lunch, it seemed like. It seemed like, you know, if you really pumped up and you really got to hiking or something, you could struggle through it. But just that that native energy that you would have to go do something, it just was really zapped. That might be just from sleeping on rocks for four days beforehand and then trying to hike or or something like that. But it's but it's it's weird. I don't know. I remember a couple other times, you know, as you kinda if you backpack and you climb up an elevation, it just can be really fatiguing. So we made it through it. I posted a photo up to Instagram today. It's hitting uh, Facebook and Twitter and the whatnot this afternoon. Uh, I'm also trying to run through and find a good video clip, like a good behind-the-scenes video clip of us kind of walking through or running around up in the Wallowas as we were hiking. And I know I have a bunch of those of uh, of us backpacking and trying to put in some work to get to a spot to take some cool photos. So. You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way. 
through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash billynewmanphoto. also interested in as i've spoken about before on this podcast is i have an affinity for uh, taking photographs on film and i want to get back into that in a way because right, right now i i don't really have a, a film camera with me i still have the the nikon n80 floating around um though i'm short a lens or you know that's what i'm saying is like i've kind of made an investment now into this whole range of focal lengths that i have and really quite nice pieces of glass over on the Canon side now. And so I'd like an opportunity to be able to take those photographs on film with that range of glass that I now have available to me. So what I'm looking at trying to do is, uh, is trying to pick up one of these older now, but, uh, one of these older, but, uh, one of the last runs of film cameras that Canon had put out. And so I was looking around and trying to do some research for that. When I, I had talked to you guys before about it, in the podcast, I was mentioning that uh, I had picked up a Nikon F4, a camera that was uh, the full manual camera or, you know, like a, no, I don't know, actually it wasn't full manual. I think it was autofocus and it had, it had like a whole color matrix. It was one of the first cameras to have that color matrix uh, auto system in it where you could, you could kind of like set it up. But, uh, and, the, and the N80 has a lot of those same features too. What I'm trying to do to get to the point is I'm looking at the EOS line of film cameras that Canon had produced in the 1990s and in the 2000s. And there's a lot of opportunities there where you can really pick up a very nice camera body that, you know, will shoot film and that would kind of accompany the 5D Mark III and, and all the Canon lenses that I have now. So I was looking at the EOS 1N which I think is the camera that came come out in 1994. It really looks quite a bit like a 5D body shape where it's, uh, it's not like the it was, it's not the oversized body, it, but it, it looks, you know, just kind of like that camera SLR body style. And it has a bunch of the features on the back. I think it has that roller wheel that Canon users have come accustomed to. It probably was one of the first cameras to introduce that big roller wheel to control your f-stop and then the, the other roller on the front to control your aperture. Um, so it's kind of, it's interesting how, how it's laid out, but, uh, but it feels and looks almost the same way. So I'm looking around at those. Those came out in 1994 and then in the year 2000, they had come out with the EOS 1, did I say 1N before? What was it? I think I wrote it down over here. Though I can't remember what it was. There was the 1N and maybe the 1H? That doesn't sound right. What would it have been? Let's look here. Oh, the 1V. That's, I think, the one I'm looking for. Yeah, the 1V is the... the the film camera that uh, Canon produced in the year 2000 and probably up through like 2006 or 2007 or 2008. There's probably even new versions of that body that are still around if uh, you know, there's those hardcore film users out there. So I'm looking around at some of those and uh, on the used market, I think they're, they're like three, four, maybe 500 bucks if, if it's kind of on the higher end of expense. But, uh, but I'm looking at some of those and, uh, and it seems like it'd be kind of an interesting uh, purchase to, to pick one of those up. Then I could be shooting um, you know, film images like I've had an interest in doing uh, with a professional body that kind of matched a lot of the same uh, layout and workflow that uh, that the 5D Mark III that I'm using has. So I'm pretty interested in that. And then, I, you know, I could use all this L glass that I've been making a purchase of too. So I have had the super wide angle 
or I don't know, is it super wide? I think it's just a wide angle zoom for that 17 to 40 millimeter f4. I've got the 24 to 70 uh, 2a. I would have the uh, 70 to 200 USM f4. And then I would have a couple prime lenses on top of that. So that's like a pretty full collection of glass that I could use to make a whole bunch of different types of art or, you know, like different different photographs, different pieces uh, that I'd be interested in trying to produce. Uh, and, you know, like a lot of the film stuff I was, I was building, like all the stuff that was on that film book that I put together, that was almost all done with a Nikon 50 millimeter f1.8. And uh, maybe like a couple manual focus lenses that I should not have been using, actually kind of knowing better now. <laughs> the optics of those were, were always kind of. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there, some stuff on the homepage, some good links to other, other outbound sources, some, some links to books, some links to some podcasts, links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.